Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Michael E. Gerber, the author of The E-Myth, and Ryan Dice. Today, I'm speaking with Ritu Java, CEO at PPC Ninja, and we will be talking a lot about Amazon advertising strategies that can help you scale. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Ritu, I started my business back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years. But there were a lot of mistakes I made along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it really needed to. There were times where I had a lot of self-doubt. Could I lead a team of people? Could I be a CEO? Could my business and brand survive? Uh, and financially, could I understand the cash flow management of the business in order to survive? So if our listeners have hit similar plateaus and they're looking for the next steps to overcome those obstacles and and grow to that next level, then I encourage you to go visit ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line say strategy audit. And then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your business to work with for this month. And if you don't win this month, don't worry, you'll be entered to win for future months to come. And before I get into introducing today's guest, I want to give a big thank you to Amy Weiss and thank her for referring Ritu as a guest for today's podcast. Amy Weiss is the CEO of Amazing at Home. She is the top-rated e-commerce consultant and Amazon guru. She helps private label brands master the path from concept to launch. So today, I'm super excited to introduce you all to Ritu Java. Ritu has started her e-commerce journey as an Etsy seller over 10 years ago. She is the CEO of PPC Ninja, a software tools and services provider managing Amazon ads for six, seven, and eight-figure brands. As someone who is really passionate about data science and advertising, Ritu has dozens of PPC mastermind programs, workshops, and webinar, and has even trained hundreds of Amazon sellers uh, on PPC. She has shared her knowledge on over 100 podcasts, webinars, blogs, and conferences, including the Prosper Show, Global Sources Summit, Pow Wow, the Billion Dollar Seller Summit, and many more. So with that introduction, Ritu, welcome to the show. Josh, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited uh, to be here and uh, to talk all about BBC today. Well, Ritu, I'm super excited to have you on the show because I know that you were actually voted as the best speaker at the most recent virtual billion dollar seller summit. So congratulations are in order to you, uh, you for winning that award because you shared some amazing content there. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was kind of blown away. I never expected it, but uh, I, I guess um, it is what it is. I'm, I'm super happy and grateful for, uh, for all the votes and uh, for being voted the best speaker. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, again, congratulations. And again, for those of you who don't know what the Billion Dollar Seller Summit is, it's, a, it's an event hosted by Kevin King. In my opinion, this is one of the best um, conferences and events that you can go to. It's always limited in the number of sellers. Um, so it's capped, I think, around 100 or so. And the content that they share, Kevin and Ritu, maybe you could um, add to this. Like Kevin kind of forces you to say you can't take anything else that you've presented elsewhere and kind of reshare it here. Is that yeah. true? Exactly. Yeah. The, you know, Kevin sets a really high bar and, uh, you know, we all want to please him. Like he is, the, you know, he's the, 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 you know, the, the greatest mind out there when it comes to, uh, content and amazing hacks and, 
I think um, because of that, uh, the quality is really, really uh, good. And, uh, you know, no one repeats anything that's been shared on other podcasts and, um, you know, blogs or any other medium. So, yeah, it's really high quality content. Yeah, agreed. Good, good shout out for the Billion Dollar Seller Summit. Yes. Um, now, Ritu, let's talk about um, your journey. I mean, you started as an Etsy seller and you've kind of ended up in this PPC expert space. So walk us through, you know, you, you're passionate about data science. And obviously there's a lot when it comes to data science with the amount of data that we're getting from Amazon with advertising. Tell us, how did you decide to get into advertising and why did you decide to niche down specifically there? Yeah, so I realized, you know, as an Etsy seller that it isn't enough just to have a listing and people won't even notice <laughs> that you put up a listing and it's just going to sit there at the bottom of a very large pile of, you know, all kinds of products. And uh, why would anyone even find you? So, you know, when I launched my, um, my jewelry brand on Etsy um, over 10 years ago now, um, it was that struggle. You know, I was like, Oh, I'm not getting any views. Nobody's, you know, noticing me. So I started doing all kinds of things like participate in collections and, um, you know, just, uh, you know, joining forces with other Etsy sellers so that we could get like mood boards out and, you know, doing Pinterest and tra driving traffic to my Etsy page and um, nothing seemed to be moving the needle, you know, and then I got into Facebook advertising and then I started my own blog because I wanted to support the content. Then I started a YouTube channel. I started showing people how to make jewelry. So everything that I could do in terms of like sending high quality traffic, um, I was doing, uh, but I wasn't seeing uh, any results because, you know, the winners were taking all the market share and they were like way ahead of me. I'm like, where, how do I get into this space? You know, how do I, how are people making so much money on Etsy and I'm not even being noticed, you know? So that was my problem space and I wanted to solve it desperately, you know? So I just took in so many courses at that time. I remember I took uh, courses in Facebook advertising, you know, followed all the, the major gurus, the Amy Porterfields and the, you know, the, Gosh, don't remember names anymore, but uh -huh. so many people in the space that uh, were sharing free content and good content, you know, and I, I was like, gosh, I'm so grateful there's the podcast and people are actually, you know, willing to share their knowledge. And um, of course, they would at the end, you know, invite you to uh, like a paid course and stuff, which is uh, understandable. But I, lo I learned a lot from there. Um, and, you know, by background, I'm an engineer uh, and I like to solve problems. I, I want... I want to figure out the, the formula <laughs> for success, you know, that's generally been my uh, kind of guiding uh, principle. So um, I decided to go back to school. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take uh, courses in data science. So I, I took a bunch of courses, you know, uh, including programming, you know, like uh, Python and uh, SQL and uh, went back to school uh, in the United States. Well, at the time uh, when I started my IT, uh, store, I was living in Japan. Uh, I lived there for 17 years, by the way, um, and uh, it was a great time, um, but then I was ready for, you know, like real work. So I went uh, to, to Seattle, Washington to uh, to do a year-long course in data science, um, and then that's kind of what changed uh, the trajectory of my life, because right after that, I was, uh, you know, given an opportunity to work uh, as part of an e-commerce brand. Uh, I was you know, hired to be the marketing uh, manager for, um, you know, um, tools, right? Software tools for uh, Amazon sellers. So I kind of got in the space, was very lucky uh, for that break and uh, was immediately attracted to PPC. You know, immediately that was the thing that was uh, exciting for me because I knew that I had had a similar experience of wanting to make my my product be seen and chosen, you know. Um, and so that started my journey really into PPC. And uh, fast forward to today, it's what, six years since that uh, moment. Um, I am now in Canada. I live in Canada. I've been here for five years. Uh, and um, I'm the CEO of PPC Ninja. So we have software and services. And I really enjoy, I've really enjoyed every moment of this journey. And more and more just feel that um, this is where I want to be. This is where 
this is where I light up. Uh, I love data. I love playing with data, and I just love all the tools that Amazon is sharing these days with search query performance and new brand analytics and just a lot uh, of stuff. So excited to be here. Yeah. Well, Amazon is certainly pumping out more data than they ever have before. So having somebody like yourself as a data scientist to be able to talk to um, that understands how to sift through large amounts of data and actually draw conclusive you know, parallels um, to why things are happening the way they are in your account can be super um, valuable. So, Ritu, there's so much that we could dive into. The first thing that I want to kind of ask you, though, knowing that our audience is primarily established sellers that are have already crossed that seven-figure mark, why do you think Amazon advertising is so important for them in order to help scale their business to eight figures and beyond? Yeah, so I think uh, the one metric that I would like to draw everybody's attention to is the PPC to organic ratio. Like that ratio will tell you what percentage of your sales are coming from ads and what percentage are coming from organic. And if you look at that percentage over time, uh, you will see that there's been a significant shift. Uh, there used to be a time when 20% of your sales could come from ads and you could basically spin up the flywheel and get relevance for a lot of important keywords. And, you know, that's, that was the formula for success, right? Just uh, a little bit of your ad spend would drive a lot of organic rank. Not anymore, right? In fact, now we're seeing um, a shift in the other direction where 50 to 60% of a lot of brands' uh, sales are actually coming from ads, which is mm. scary, uh, but it's also inevitable because Amazon is becoming more and more pay-to-play, right? The first page is crowded with ads, right? And then there's so many uh, competitors, um, you know, including from mainland China, the factory brands that are competing side by side with us, right, uh, on uh, with Western brands. And uh, they have a, an unfair advantage. They have just too many uh, advantages um, and they can easily kind of knock us out, right? Um, there was a post I was reading recently where uh, they were talking about, you know, how chat GPT has uh, kind of leveled the playing field even more and Chinese uh, brands can now have access to perfect English and perfect yeah. um, bullet points. And so then what is uh, the way to differentiate, you know, everything looks good for uh, for them and it's it's very hard uh, anymore to um, to stand out, right? So organic ranking uh, is go good, great, but then uh, what we're actually seeing is that we're even um, fighting for PPC ranking. Like we're not even getting yeah. the first four spots on PPC, which is crazy. You know, no matter how much you pay, uh, it's uh, it, you know you you're really uh, having to struggle to get to to stay in that spot. So which is why it it becomes even more important uh, to understand everything that advertising has to offer. Look for low-hanging fruit that other people are not paying attention to. So you've got to be very kind of vigilant, uh, looking out for new opportunities, because as soon as new ad types or new opportunities come out, um, that's the time you want to get in real quick, because, you know, as time goes by, everybody's going to catch up. All those yeah. techniques will be out and then you lose your uh, advantage, your first mover advantage. So being vigilant, being, um, you know, aware of the space and, you know, embracing advertising because you can't, I know there's a love-hate relationship there. I know everybody, you know, hates the fact that Amazon not only takes a share of their profits, but then you have to also keep aside a, a bunch of that for for advertising. So I guess the the, the faster you embrace the fact that it's inevitable, and come up with smart strategies to uh, help you stand out, the better. Yeah, Ritu, I think you did. That was a great summary. I think like the faster you adopt the PPC, the better. Um, because I think there's a lot of sellers that kind of pull the cover over their heads and like, oh, I'm just going to pretend that I don't need to do anything with PPC or, or I'm just going to turn on my auto campaigns because PPC is just so complicated, right? And we are definitely moving over the next five to 10 years where, yeah, I think I, I love what you noted there that right now we talk about what's your organic ranking and how do we get ranked organically? I think the conversation five to 10 years from now is like, how do we get ranked 
on our PPC ads in spots one to four, right? Like, yes. what are the things we should be doing now in order to qualify to be at from number one or number four in that top of search from Absolutely. Amazon, right? Yeah, that, that is the struggle at this point. How do you even get shown with ads? Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. Um, I also love the fact that you talked about that first mover advantage for advertising. I think that that is extremely important. You want to talk about, you know, any type of low hanging fruit. How do I reduce my CPC? Um, because, you know, CPCs can be crazy expensive in certain categories. Well, honestly, the only way to really reduce those CPCs, because right now they're only going to get higher, is to take advantage of um, anything new that Amazon gives us in regards to advertising. So anything new that comes out, if you can take advantage of that first mover advantage, advantage, that's where you're going to create the most success. Um, I want to loop back to that PPC to organic sales ratio that you talked about at the beginning, Ritu. What is, what would you recommend from the hundreds of accounts that you viewed, the sellers that are using your platform and software, what do you see right now is a healthy balance of PPC sales to organic sales for an established brand? Yeah, and I think it's very dependent on the category. Some categories are so saturated that um, 60, 40, 60 PPC and 40% organic is becoming the norm. Um, for example, um, just to give you an example from the, the pet space, uh, just so crowded, like especially if you're um, you know, selling any kind of like dog toys or, you know, uh, pet products and things like that. Um, there's so much competition there that, um, you know, 50 to 60% coming from ads is pretty normal. Like it, there's no chance you can compete with uh, mainland Chinese brands with just organic. It's, they've already got 20,000 reviews and more. <laughs> like how yeah. can you, you know, how can you even compete, begin to compete with that, right? So uh, the ads, become your only way, your only chance of being seen. And that leads to um, the 60-40 ratio. But in some of the other categories where it's a little bit more, um, you know, difficult for anyone to imitate you or to provide services that, um, you know, require human, um, you know, intensive uh, work, like support or whatever, like after the fact, uh, it's probably still okay to get like 40% from, um, mm. ads and 60% from organic. So let's say research heavy products or products that require or have a, a good margin, right? Have a good margin uh, that are not so easy to imitate. Those categories, you're you're still seeing uh, quite a healthy uh, ratio. So it totally depends on the, the, the category. I would recommend just making a note of that number today and just watching it over time because just baseline it and then, yeah. then you'll see whether it's going up or down. Yeah, that's good input. And on that note, while we're talking about metrics, what do you see as a healthy tacos percentage for an established brand? And I'm sure it changes based on what category you're in. For sure, if you're supplements, you're playing a much longer term game and you're playing on subscriptions and repeat customers. But let's say for an average brand, right, that has, you know, one time customers more often than not. Uh, what do you think is kind of the ballpark? tacos number to ensure that they're they're healthy and competitive across the board yeah so that's such a great question really a million dollar question uh so okay here's what i think of tacos now your tacos is going to be different um at different stages of your journey so you know when you are starting off your tacos uh needs to be competitive with the market uh you can't be uh, looking at tacos as a profitability metrics, it's more of like, what's the maximum I can afford to spend in order to get this business off the ground? Uh, but then as time progresses and you start to see, um, you know, revenue coming in, flywheels working, everything is going fine, then you start to tweak the, you know, the tacos uh, target a little bit to kind of make it more profitable. Um, so I think um, it's a kind of, um, it's a calculation that I uh, look for at, in, at three points. So I look at spend, I look at revenue, and I look at profits, right? So um, initially, when you're just starting off, 
um, you know, even the smallest amount of spend will result in a drop in profits. You know, you're starting off, you're spending money on ads, all of that is eating into your profits. But at a certain point, the the spend, as you increase your ad spend, it's actually going to generate revenue for you, right? So what's yeah. the sweet spot when those two lines kind of cross over? Uh, that's the, the target tacos that is going to shift with, um, with you know, the maturity uh, of your of your account. So um, we do say that uh, the guideline is that we don't want to spend more than 50% of net margin for your for your advertising. So I guess if you can keep that just general rule of thumb in mind, uh, you, you should be fine. Um, so no more than 50% of net margin. Uh, eventually, you want to get there. Uh, but in the beginning, you're probably just going to be so break even that, um, you know, it's, it's going to feel like ads are taking away from from your profit and you're not let, left with anything. So, yeah. Makes sense. Um, so makes sense. you say 50% of the net margin, right? Yeah. So that, and for our listeners, what that basically means, and I would assume that's kind of your gross um, margin, right? Because you've got your Amazon sales generating revenue, right? So that's metric number one, revenue. Then you've got to deduct your cost of goods sold. That would be number two. And then the other metrics that you're going to need to take into account are going to be your FBA fees. And then that Amazon referral fee, right? So you got 15% for the referral fee, your FBA fees that you've got to add in, and your cost of goods sold. So let's say at the end of the day, your gross profit margin, after you take your revenue and subtract those expenses that we just talked about, you're sitting at about 40%, let's assume, right? You're saying that you could probably spend up to or probably have a 20% tacos number is that what you're recommending or do you even hear 20 percent? you're like wow that's way too much like what, what's yeah. your feedback on that yeah so so you know um for an established business it's okay to do to that to, you know to do the gross margin but i would say net margin is more accurate like you'll probably mm. want to also look at your overhead just to see how healthy your business is overall, right? If you're spending on, let's say, five employees who are also helping you, all of that needs to be taken into account and amortized over whatever inventory you have and uh, come up with some numbers. Initially, you won't uh, need to do net, uh, and I think your calculation works fine. But the moment, you know, you've gotten to a point where, okay, you're looking at like it, like it's a sustainable business, then definitely, um, you know, look at the net uh, margin and try to peg your target to no more than 50 so that you can take back something, right? Yeah. That's yeah. the reason why we're all doing Amazon businesses so that we can make uh, income that, you know, will sustain us. You know, I, I love that approach. Um, honestly, you're the first one to ever, like, provide that type of approach. Usually somebody's just going to pull out a ballpark number, right? It's going to be, well, I think it's 10%. I think it's 15 other people are going to say it's 20%. But what I love that you talked about is, yeah, even on that net margin number, right? So what's your net profit every month, right? When What's that percentage of your revenue? Then divide that by 50%. And that's probably the budget that you should allocate. It's just a general rule of thumb. And as your business matures, you can, you know, open up the floodgates or, you know, shut them down a little bit more according to your needs. But the most important thing that you talked about is focused on that profitability standpoint. If somebody is bootstrapping their business, you know, you could real quickly just drive yourself into the red overnight just by turning on Amazon advertising, right? Like you can, Amazon will spend as much money as you're willing to, to give them. Right. And so mm -hmm. if you're not looking at your financial metrics and you know how to calculate, Hey, you know, what's my, what's 50% in my net, profit margin, then that's probably where you need to start focusing is getting your books in order so that you can calculate that number. So that's uh, some basic accounting 101 there. Um, but Ritu, let's dive into the real meat and potatoes of today's conversation. Yeah. Amazon's laid out a lot of new ads. They're always coming out with, with new stuff, new console, new U UI, et cetera. One of the newer things that we have seen has been sponsored display and kind of being charged on a 
cost per impression, right? A CPM basis. And uh, there's some interesting data that we are finding from that. So, Ritu, why don't you kind of spill the beans and and what you're seeing from your side as it relates to sponsored display ad campaigns on Amazon? Yeah, so um, sponsored display, um, you know, has been uh, imitating DSP to quite an extent and the closest kind of uh, DSP sibling on the, the Amazon ads platform is the VCPM campaign type. Uh, the way you uh, set these ads is um, when you create an SD ad or a sponsored display ad, uh, in the bidding section, they will ask you whether you want to optimize for reach, optimize for page visits, or optimize for conversions. So the first one, which is optimized for reach, is the one uh, that we're talking about today, which is a CPM-based model, which means that you will get charged uh, on views or viewable impressions and not on clicks. So people can see your ad for just one second. Like if they see half your ad for just one second, it will be counted as an impression that you will pay for. And this is exactly what the mm. DSP model is, right? The DSP model is based on impressions. Um, now, the problem with... Um, this kind of ad is that the reporting kind of fails us. Uh, everything else on Amazon is a CPC-based model. This is the only ad type that is charging us on impressions. Now, Amazon has tried to um, include data coming from this ad type on the same um, platform, on the same uh, console, uh, and they're, I think they're failing miserably in, in the reporting side of things because if you've seen an ad from the corner of your eye, you've not ever clicked on it, how can you say for sure that that's the one that contributed to the sale, right? And so that becomes very tricky yep. because Amazon is reporting um, sales even when those sales happen to just regular organic um, visits to your product detail page. And the way it plays out is as follows. Let's say someone is on your product detail page. They came through whatever path. They came through an ad. They came through organic. Whatever it is, they're on your page. Now, VCPM shows up on the side, at the bottom, at the top, somewhere on the right. We don't know, right? It could be just a, uh, a viewable impression. And because Amazon reports um, last touch attribution, which means that the last ad they saw will get the credit. Not the first one, right? The mm. last one will get credit. So this VCPM campaign is getting credit for something that you've already spent maybe a lot of money bringing people over to your page or through organic. So people are already there. And then they see this ad. It acts as a closer, uh, which means that it's basically assisting sales in a sense. It's blocking out um, some competitor maybe. Yes, it's doing all of that, but it's also not clear whether someone really noticed it like imagine half an ad for one second is counted as an impression that's that's a pretty low threshold for being counted as um you know the, yeah. the, the thing the thing that contributed to the conversion so uh, so that was the confusion i think everybody was confused about it but now we have conclusive data to show that this ad type is actually misleading in many ways right so let me explain um how we found this and how uh, you can also kind of detect if this is happening in your case. The first thing we noticed was that the ACoS on these campaigns is amazing. 0.5% ACoS, 3% ACoS. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I've seen that even in my own ad account, right? It's there like, oh, my goodness, I've, I've found the golden nugget of Amazon, 0.5% ACoS, right? Yeah, and this is wishful thinking because everybody wants their ads to work like this, right? 0.5% ACoS, beautiful, wonderful. Uh, what, what they don't understand is that uh, this is being calculated based on impressions. So if you have, you know, impressions and no clicks uh, on your ad, you will still be charged and you will still be shown that, you know, you had a sale from this impression, which is great, right? That's what they, they want to uh, have us believe. So because it was so low, the ACoS was unbelievably low. We were very suspicious of this ad type from the start, but there was no way to prove it. We asked Amazon. They say everything is fine. You know, this is driving you sales. People are looking at it. This is, you know, this is what brand awareness is all about and all that stuff, right? 
Then comes um, yeah. this new report that we discovered, which is called the, um, actually, it's uh, just a campaigns report. So if you go into your sponsored display, sorry, if you go into your um, ad console, look for reports, then go into sponsored display. And within that, uh, download the campaigns report. This campaigns report now has an extra column, uh, which is called 14-day total orders by click. So this is the, the metric that you want to pay attention to. How many sales came from click-based uh, conversions, not mm. view-based conversions? So the difference is startling, right? If you just uh, do this calculation yourself, in the same um, sheet, you will see both these columns, just orders, 14-day uh, total orders, and 14-day uh, total orders by clicks. Uh, you will see the difference. And um, I can show you one um, uh you know, let me share my screen. I know uh, people who are listening won't be able to see this, but. Um, but if you come check out the YouTube channel, you'll be able to watch this video and, and see what Ritu is sharing. So quick shout out, go find Ecom Breakthrough. Remember Ecom with two M's on YouTube and you can see Ritu's screen here. So here's the discrepancy. Um, uh, as you can see, I have on my screen the cost type, which is BCPM. We spent $23,000 almost, and the sales reported by Amazon on this uh, on these ads was $241,000 in sales, right? Which gives me an ACoS of only 9%, 9.6%, which is pretty good, right? Pretty good. However, if I look only at click-based sales, the click-based sales, that means someone actually clicked on my VCPM ad, was only 6,876, which mm. means my click-based ACoS is 337%. Just a little different. Just a little different. <laughs> so this is, um, this is something, uh, you know, everybody can, uh, you know, download today and, uh, you know, find this discrepancy um, on their own. Uh, that's one uh, kind of way of uh, looking at this data. But as you know, I am very fond of data science. So I actually went and uh, played with uh, Amazon Marketing Cloud. So Amazon Marketing Cloud is uh, a little advanced. It requires uh, a setup uh, and then it gives you a lot of good data. Um, the one that I was most interested in was first touch attribution versus last touch mm. attribution. So last touch attribution, which uh, is the default model on the Amazon console, uh, which is how they're reporting such uh, inflated numbers, is going to show that everything is great with, with VCPM. But if you look at the same data and say, what if this was a first touch attribution model? Did VCPM initiate? I mean, we know that it closed, but did it initiate any conversions? So when I compared those two side by side, uh, the difference was, you know, absolutely plain and clear. So for um, first touch attribution, we saw that 3,000 sales uh, came from uh, VCPM. And uh, if you look at last touch attribution, 68,000 sales came from VCPM. So that's the mm. amount, that's the magnitude of difference that, uh, you know, <laughs> we're basically ignoring because of the way the reporting is happening on the console side. So it's an eye opener. So what did we do, right? So now the, here comes the action, right? The action is we paused all our VCPM campaigns, like all of them. Um, and then um, this is for one... Um, one of our accounts, they went from 8.5 tacos down to 4.9% tacos, wow. which is crazy amazing. Because uh, what basically what this means is that we were spending a bunch of money uh, pushing these ads, looking like this was causing all the, the growth, but the growth was the same. There was basically no growth on the top line. Uh, everything was just the same. It was just uh, us spending a lot of money. So we just got rid of that ad type, got a little bit of pushback from the client because they were like, what happened to our sales? And I was like, those sales were not real. <laughs> yeah. So so the, the ad sales dropped quite a bit, but the tacos went uh, down as well. And we gave them a bunch of money back to keep. Um, and I think that's uh, that was the right right thing to do. Uh, now, do I think that VCPM campaigns are garbage entirely? Maybe not, um, because they do serve a purpose, right? Now, if you are a big brand who's looking for maximum exposure, don't want anyone to get in 
um, you know, on the side rail, the bottom, the top of, of your product detail page, you don't, you basically want to block out all your competitors with as much uh, ad uh, real estate as you can get. This ad might be good for you. Uh, I mean, keep a limited budget and uh, drive it. Um, it, it it's going to show up. Like, it's going to show up as, as many times as you would want it to. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, because it's reach-based, it can also show up off Amazon, right? So those uh, those are other advantages. But what we've noticed is that most of these, especially DSP, basically prioritizes the Amazon platform and not outside. Uh, so this is uh, also following most likely the same kind of model. Um, so, yeah, it might be good, but be mindful of how much you're spending on it. Like, keep your budget capped on this if you just want to use it as a side experiment. Go for it, but if you're ROAS focused, if you are looking to, uh, you know, increase your profits, then I would just stop your VCP yeah. ads. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that is such an important, like, highlight that you just identified um, because, uh, again, a lot of sellers are going into this thinking that, oh, my goodness, like, I found the goldmine of Amazon advertising. This is newer-ish. And so, yes, first mover advantage. Look at these low a cost that I'm getting. And I think here's the big mindset shift that everybody needs to understand as it relates to DSP or even sponsored display. Effectively, what you're doing in the strategy is typically used by very big established brands. Let's take American Airlines, for example, right? American Airlines um, may put up some billboards right along the road just to raise awareness, right? Just to be on the top of your mind. That's about it, right? They're not saying, well, because this person saw this billboard while they're driving, they're going to immediately start searching for a flight. No, that's not the intent. Same thing. American Airlines sponsors the American Airlines Center in downtown Dallas, where the Mavericks and the Stars play. And all of it, they have their logo on the court. They have their logo on the building, their intent, you know, people going there, they're not going there to buy airline tickets. They're going to a sporting event or concerts or whatever it may be. Yet it's just kind of that brand awareness. Now, in my opinion, for those of us that you are bootstrapped, you are trying to build your own brand and growing it to eight figures and beyond. You know, a lot of these, you know, I'm not going to go put up a billboard for my business just to raise awareness. Because that's not at the that's not where we're at in our business in terms of the needs of the marketing um, there. We are much lower down the funnel. And I would argue that 90 percent of our Amazon sellers, 95, if not 99 percent of them should just be focused on that bottom of the funnel. There's still so much room for optimization there that turning on sponsor display, you're in a whole new ball game of imagine if you are considering advertising on billboards as you're driving down the road or consider advertising at the American Airlines Center. Um, that's kind of the, the analogy I think people need to see in their mind. Um, and then Ritu, let's piggyback off of this. The reason why this is such a big problem is because Amazon is going to start inflating your advertising data to make it appear as though it's so effective when in reality, Let's imagine I'm going, I need to go to Walmart today to go pick up some groceries. But all, while I'm driving on the road, there's a bill, a billboard for Walmart. And all of the sudden, you know, in some amazing way, you know, Walmart gets that feedback of, oh, he saw the billboard and then he showed yes. up at the <laughs> store. So this, the reason why Josh showed up at Walmart today is because he saw the billboard. No, that that is not the case. I was going there already. That's what's happening on Amazon. Effectively, you've already seen this product. You've already clicked on it from a, you know, a regular sp sponsored ad or a headline search ad or you've seen it on the storefront and then lo and behold, it loads somewhere on some other random page. All of a sudden Amazon saying, "Well, it's because they that they saw this Amazon doesn't even know if that end user actually even saw that impression. They have no idea. It just loaded on the screen. Um, so I think that, I mean, you've dispelled a huge um, issue, I think, with sponsored display. And I think sellers, before you get into it, need to go into it with the full open, um, you know, their eyes wide open in terms of like what Amazon's reporting. I like that you uncovered, you know, that first click. 
attribution, there is a way that you could actually see, is it being effective? Because yeah, maybe there is a place, but not at 300% ACOS for most people, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just uh, uh, a couple more things. Like I have nothing against sponsored display in general. So there is one other type of sponsored display ad that I absolutely love and use, which is um, uh, actually two. So views remarketing and um, purchase remarketing. Those two Mm. are really powerful because they bring back people. Uh, that may have visited a page and did not purchase. So they're at least keeping track of the purchase part of it, that they did not purchase. So your ad won't go waste. You will be shown only if the purchase has not yet occurred. Um, And the purchase remarketing is great for people who have like a, you know, a repeat purchase component, uh, something that can be purchased, refill supplements, for example, or subscribe and save type of products, those uh, will really benefit from the remarketing because, you know, people are nine times more likely to buy from you if they have purchased from you in the past. That's just general statistics. So uh, those uh, those ad types uh, are really powerful. Uh, and also uh, I use sponsored display for product targeting, uh, which gives me a really nice placement on the right rail under the buy box. Um, and th- those ads uh, are still powerful. The only thing you need to uh, be careful about is the bidding uh, setting that you pick. Don't pick uh, optimized for reach. You you should pick optimized for conversions. If you do that, then you won't have the C- VCPM type. You will get the CPC type of um you know ad, which means only if someone clicks on it would you get charged. You know, so those are safe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so there's still opportunity with sponsored display, except that it's not the VCPM. That's that's the evil one. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's a great summary. Yeah. So don't don't get me wrong. Sponsored display is not completely out of the question. It's the different types of ads that you can generate. Right. So right. remarketing, obviously, to an abandoned cart shopper, yeah. that's extremely low down the funnel. Great opportunity you know, remarketing to somebody that's already purchased your product for repeat purchase, another great strategy. Um, it's it's when you consider using sponsored display higher up the funnel that you need to be aware. And those, you know, selecting whether it be reach or conversions makes a big difference. So I think that is fantastic information um, yeah. for our Thank listeners. You. Now, Ritu, I know we're kind of running up on time, but there's an important thing that I think Uh, we need to share with our listeners, and that is the importance of doing a regular audit. Um, That's something that you've been preaching from stages. It's something that you've built a 100-point checklist for. So why don't you tell our listeners, especially established brands, like why is it so important for them to do regular audits on their account, and what do you mean by doing an audit? Right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, we uh, audit so many accounts, uh, you know, even established ones. uh, And we always find, um, you know, areas of improvement. Like we always think, gosh, I wonder why they're not doing this or that or what 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 made them uh, skip this step or that step. So it's a question that we've always kind of uh, wondered. And so we just started writing down you know, all the different things we look out for, like what what is it that we look out for in an account to see if it's healthy or not. So we basically came up with this checklist that's just been growing and growing. So by the time you hear this, maybe it's 120 points. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but um, but generally speaking, uh, the, uh, the checklist looks at the health of an account from different perspectives. So, for example, the first thing we look at is um, what is the... Um, account level performance, right? So that's um, just the top level metrics and uh, looking for uh, any kind of red flags on on the numbers that we see there. Um, Then we look at the brand performance. We look for things like, is this, uh, you know, brand looking out for itself? Is it doing enough defense, uh, offense and conquesting? You know, is there new to brand? Is there like strategies in place for new to brand acquisition um, or not? Uh, Then we look at campaign structure. Uh, How healthy are their campaigns? Are they set up for success or failure? To give you an example, recently we onboarded a client that had um, 20 ad groups within a single campaign. 
which is a formula for disaster, <laughs> recipe mm-hmm. for disaster, because, you know, you can't do anything with that campaign. The moment we um, increase the, the budget even slightly on, on those campaigns, uh, it went from a, from being a very good ACOS to a very bad ACOS, like overnight almost, mm. because all these ad groups that behave uh, that behaved uh, roguishly in the past had been suppressed because of the budget cap. And these ad groups suddenly came alive because Amazon is like, okay, my budget has in- improved or increased at the campaign level. So we've got to start firing these other ad groups up. And that's how, you know, overnight that uh, campaign just got destroyed. Like we had to kind of bring it back and say, okay, okay, stop, stop. So um, because budgets are set at the campaign level, you don't want to have that many ad groups. It just creates confusion. So anyway, we look for that and a bunch of other things with campaign structure. We look at campaign health, um, which basically means that, um, you know, we'll, we'll basically look at how many keywords have sales, how many keywords that have clicks and no sales, what's the wasted ad spend, what is the um, uh, number of uh, low cost campaigns that are being capped on budget, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll do a bunch of those sorts of checks. Um, then we look at ad type coverage, so ad type selection and performance. Uh, I have so many good um, examples of people not even looking at sponsored brand ads, not even testing sponsored video and sponsored display, of course, is out of question because it's too complex for people. They don't even uh-huh. go there. So everybody's focusing on the crowded pawns, sponsored product, keyword-based ads. That's all they're focused on because they're thinking, I want to rank, I want to rank, I want to rank. And they're going after the most expensive ad type that's out there, right? The CPCs on those are the highest. So nobody's looking at low-hanging fruit or, you know, balancing things out. Uh, So, yeah, so that's another thing we look for. Uh, We look for competitor tracking and targeting. Are they doing a good job of harvesting competitors that are already uh, leading sales in your direction? One way or the other, Amazon is finding us and showing our products and, you know, to these, um, on these pages uh, and people are coming in. Uh, are we capturing that information and using that as data? Are we looking at uh, important tools uh, that Amazon is providing so much data with uh, that can be used for harvesting competitor information? Uh, and then we look at keyword performance. Keyword performance is obviously, you know, so many things to, to check with keywords. Uh, are they following a strategy for ranking or not? Are they looking at goal keywords, ranking keywords, and related keywords separately or not? Because we have a in-house methodology for ranking very sustainably and profitably. Uh, and we've seen some really good success with that it's, you know, topic for another day. But uh-huh. uh, pretty pretty in, uh, involved uh, system for keyword ranking. Uh, SKU-based performance. People don't look at the, the SKU, how each SKU is performing from the ad side. Why? Because, you know, Amazon does not give us data on a SKU uh, level, but, you know, our software helps us to do that. So we get uh, reporting on, on a SKU by SKU basis. So looking at SKU performance, you know, are there any low-hanging fruits even within your, your SKUs uh, that you might be getting a really good ACOS on, but you're not advertising enough, uh, things like that. So just a different slice of the same data. Um, and then finally, we look at retail readiness. So that's our ninth point. Um, I mean, I wish I, I could you know share my screen and show you everything, but it's a lot. Uh, maybe briefly, I can just give you a glimpse of our, um, our spreadsheet here. So you know, uh, viewers on YouTube can take a look. So this is what our uh, checklist looks like. Uh, so we start with PPC performance, brand performance, campaign structure, campaign health, uh, ad type selection and performance, uh, competitor tracking, keyword performance, SKU performance, retail readiness. So this is basically our our checklist. And I know that, you know, you can pause and, and view it um, at leisure, but um we use this to not only um, look for opportunities with our existing clients, but then we also kind of use this from time to time uh, on our, you know, on, on clients that have been around for a while and see how we can find any, you know, um, opportunities. Like they're always hiding somewhere. Like you just have to go find them, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that that was the, the thing that I uh, thought might be useful for people. Um, just making sure that the account 
uh, is healthy and stays healthy. I love that. Now, Ritu, I, I'm curious, you know, what is your recommendation? Let's say somebody is doing PPC by themselves, right? Or they have it in-house at their business. Would you encourage them to kind of follow through this checklist that you, you went over um, in terms of an audit? Or are you actually recommending that people reach out to agencies and experts like yourself to say, hey, would you mind conducting an audit on my account and tell me what I'm overlooking, right? Because I think that, you know, a third set of eyes, another a third party's opinion can actually be very revealing and eye opening at times. So what's your perspective? Yeah, on that? I agree. So I think uh, most agencies will do a light audit that is uh, fairly automated, like you just provide a few reports and they can give you an audit that is um you know, quite quick uh, to carry out. Now, this audit that I showed you is a pretty intense one, and it's it's going to take a long time, right? And it's mm -hmm. it's probably best to do this kind of audit when um, when either you have an in-house team or you're really serious about going ahead with an agency because it is pretty time consuming to to do all these checks. But you know, light audits, uh, anything that can reveal issues, problems, opportunities. Definitely ask an agency to, you know, to do it for you and see what they say. Uh, and we, I mean, at PPC Ninja, also we offer uh, free audits. Um, uh, if you are above a certain, um, I think it's, we need them to be at least 10,000 in ad spend in order to qualify for a free audit. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'd be happy to do it for your audience and uh, take a look at your account and you know, give you some inputs. Uh, maybe one or two of those might be useful right away. Uh, who knows? Awesome. Well, there you have it for our listeners. If you would like somebody to do maybe not as comprehensive as all of those checklist items, but at least maybe pointing out some options and areas for improvement um, in your PPC campaigns, reach out to uh, PPC Ninja. Um, now, Ritu, as we wrap up here, I love to leave our audience with three actionable takeaways from each episode. Here are the three takeaways that I noted. Um, let me know if you think I'm missing something. Number one is that sellers and brand owners need to come to Amazon or approach their PPC management with a budget in mind. It, rather than just, you know, kind of picking a number out of the air in terms of, hey, my taco should be 10 just because I heard about it on some podcast. You provided uh, some very clear metrics and some guidelines for people. So what Ritu had recommended is take your net profit margin, okay? Whether it's a percentage that you take or whether it's, you know, actual numbers, then divide that by half. And that should be your budget. Uh, well, not necessarily your budget, but that's what you should be aiming towards for your tacos, right? So if you have a, you know, a 15% profit margin, net profit margin, Maybe you should be targeting about seven and a half percent for your tacos. Is that correct, Ritu? Yeah, and that would be like an eventual goal. And some people in the initial stages of their journey might be willing to take up all of that fifteen percent for just to make their uh, brand take off on Amazon. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. So that's number one. If you don't have those metrics, go get those metrics. And number two, start to use that as a baseline and just start tracking from today. Um, action item number two is to be wary of sponsored display ad campaigns. As Ritu mentioned, it is a very complicated kind of ad setup. But we're, ver we're all very used to the keyword-based sponsored product ads, even headline search ads to an extent, and video ads. But when it comes to sponsored display, there are a lot more different settings. There's a lot of different audiences that you could be targeting here. And so the... You know, just be aware before you set things up that if you're seeing a 0.5%, 1% tacos, it's, it seems too good to be true. It's typically because it always is. Um, and she walked us through the perfect way of how you can discover that. So rewind the podcast. You can definitely, you know, hear the details of how you could uncover that. But just an FYI, there, there is a purpose for using sponsored display. Just make sure you're using the correct purposes and that it's actually serving your needs. So just go into it with your eyes wide open. Now, action item number three is to perform regular audits on your account. Don't become complacent. 
And I think along with these audits is I would probably add on the fact of like, you should be staying ahead of the curve and consuming information from experts such as Ritu and other PPC experts that are in the know of the latest things that Amazon is releasing and staying up to date with those things because it's easy to kind of take a step back and PPC can be overwhelming and too much to do in one day, but it's always important to take that first mover advantage, do regular audits so that you can clean up areas of improvement. So Ritu, is there anything you think that I'm missing that we should relay to the audience here? Oh, that was a great summary. Thank you. Awesome. All right, Ritu, as we wrap up today, I like to ask the final three questions that I ask every guest. So the first question is, what has been the most influential book that you've read and why? The Goal by Ellie Goldratt. Uh, I read it way back in the 90s, and I reread it this year as part of my New Year's uh, kind of goal setting exercise. And the reason why I love The Goal is because it helped me understand bottlenecks. And those are everywhere. Like uh, if you want to do anything efficiently, you need to understand how bottlenecks work and how you can ease the flow of work uh, through different bottlenecks and make sure that you uh, get to the result profitably and um, in a timely manner. So I really love that book. Yeah. Quick shout out on that book. That's one that I read when I was in college and it actually is a, a very good book. I think at the time I was reading it, I was like, ah, this is just assigned reading. Now, as a business owner, if you are sitting in that CEO visionary seat, that book, The Goal, um, is super, super important um, because your job, if you want to scale your team and grow your organization, all it is is a matter of identifying the bottlenecks in your business. And as soon as you relieve one bottleneck, there's going to be another bottleneck and then there's going to be another bottleneck. So the book is a very good way of like how to methodically approach those situations, things to consider. So I definitely highly recommend anybody that, again, is in that leadership role and you're trying to scale your team. I definitely recommend that book. Ritu, next question here is what is a new uh, productivity tool or software that you've recently discovered that you think is going to be a game changer? ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah. It's my, you know, it's my buddy now. Like I have signed up for the um the paid version because I I can't I'm, I don't have the patience to wait when other people are using it. So I've just signed up for it and I use it so often just to, you know, find answers to all kinds of questions. It it helps me um be more productive. Um it helps me uh take an idea and bring it to the next step. So I think ChatGPT is the game changer. I agree. And I think I've asked that question and have received that response every time. And if <laughs> if I were to answer that question, I would respond with ChatGPT as well. I think I need to refine my question. And so I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. What is your favorite prompt that you've given to ChatGPT? Yeah. So I think my favorite prompt is uh, when I ask uh, ChatGPT to create a Google Sheets formula, because that's my second favorite tool, right? So Google Sheets, uh, I use it all the time for all kinds of uh, like mini tools, micro tools. And ChatGPT helps me do my work in Google Sheets much faster because I, I know formulas, but I don't remember them. Like if someone says, uh, mm -hmm. you know, how, how do I extract, you know, this word from another column? I'll just tell ChatGPT, I said, I'll say my column A has this, column B has this, and I want this in column C, give me the formula. So in no time. I have the formula. I don't need to research. I don't need to do anything. It's just so easy. I love that. That is a great recommendation. Love that. So now I've effectively changed this on the spot. You were the first, <laughs> Ritu. You can always remember that. The first GPT specific prompt question. <laughs> All right. Last question, Ritu. Who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that other people should be following and why? Kevin King. <laughs> um, so I met Kevin seven years ago or six years ago. I can't remember in uh, Hong Kong uh, at the Global Sources Summit. And he just blew my mind because he came up with 
so many hacks uh, that, you know, Megla, who was uh, the coordinator at the time, uh, was having a tough time, you know, containing uh, Kevin's, uh, you know, uh, session, which was just exploding and people just kept wanting him to go on and on and on. And he introduced us to so many new concepts, so many new ideas about sourcing, about A-B testing, about PPC, about backend keywords, like just so many ideas and hacks. And to this day, Kevin is just full of ideas, and uh, I just love listening to him. Um, so I think everybody should follow Kevin King. Awesome. I'll echo that as well. Well, Ritu, thank you so much for your valuable time today. If people want to learn more um, about you, you've got many different masterminds. Um, you're, you were generous to offer a free audit to our listeners. Where should people go to take advantage of the, these offers and learn more about you and follow you in your journey. Yeah, so you can uh, just reach out to me. Uh, my email is ritu at ppcninja.com. Uh, just send me uh, a message and we'll take the conversation from there. You can also follow me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of uh, content there. So it's just my full name, R-I-T-U-J-A-V-A. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you'll find me um, around. So just reach out and I'll be happy to help and engage. Awesome. Well, Ritu, thanks again for your time and for sharing your wisdom with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Josh, for having me. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.